All right. Our subject here today is the secrets of God revealed. The secrets of God revealed. And I want to talk to you here, uh, the thought and the message that God's put on my heart for us here today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, and will turn with us to Proverbs 25, 2. This is the very first verse that we have at the very top of your lesson that you're getting. And uh, it's our opening thought. And it's Proverbs 25, 2. And this is what you'll see at the top of your paper right here. And if you'll look with us on that very simple verse. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Notice that. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So God has concealed things in the word of, in, uh, in life, all through life. He's concealed things and we can search them out. And he goes on to say in Proverbs that it's our honor to do that. It's our honor. We have the honor of a king. If you want to search out the things of the Lord, and we're going to talk a little bit about those things here today. Praise the Lord. I want to start, first of all, with examples, and I'm going to go through this very quickly here. The examples of things in the old, in, in life that uh, people have invented to make the human race better. I'm going to start with number one. I'm sorry. Let me start with number one up here. There have been great achievements by men to advance the human race by following a particular creation of God. And then I've got here Ecclesiastes 1.9. Ecclesiastes 1.9, uh, again, written by Solomon. Proverbs was written by Solomon, then also Ecclesiastes. And this is Ecclesiastes 1.9. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. What's been in the past will be in the future. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Now, that's a little bit hard to understand because we say, wait a minute, I see airplanes and I see buses and I see, you know, telephones and I see all kind of things today. And they didn't have that in ancient times. But the principle behind those things have always been. And I'm going to try to show you that just with, with Scripture and a few things here today. Uh, and so A here, examples, follow me on this. I'm showing you here where Ecclesiastes 1.9, and there's another Scripture in, in Ecclesiastes as well that supports the same view. Pretty well says the same thing. Uh, and uh, I won't read it too, but it pretty well says the same thing again. So it's mouth of two or three witnesses. And so here in the examples, the telephone by Alexander the Graham Bell, the ear was the subject that he studied. I don't know whether you've ever studied his life or read anything about history about the telephone, but he studied how the ear works. And in studying how the ear works, he was able to develop what we know today as the telephone and everything. And from that came other inventions as well. Two, the camera. The invention of the camera, taking pictures, it is developed from the eye. Have they studied the eye? The men who developed the camera, they studied the eye, how it worked, and so forth, and said, you know what, we can make a mechanical eye thing. We can develop a camera. That's what came about. The airplane, 
the airplane was designed after birds. The birds sit all like this. They'd open up them wings like that and take off. And they started building airplanes. The airplanes all have wings, don't they? They all have wings. They fly like that. Later on, later on, they noticed there were some things that flew without the wings, like some insects, bumblebees or hummingbirds. They just, they, they, they flew without the wings. The wings were made differently. So they studied from that and they developed and got the, the helicopter style different. I'm just pointing out to you how that man has studied the creations of God and by doing so, they were able to invent things that have brought about modern day life for us. Modern day life for us. And it goes on and on in the small details. They may not give God credit, but it is, it is nothing new. God had it all back there in the beginning anyhow, and it was in God's great secrets. Uh, here's one that all of you may be very familiar with. Number four uh, is the Velcro. Velcro, you know, where you have one piece of material that's fuzzy and another where that's a little bit sticky and you put them together and they, they bond together and you pull them apart. They, now they use it all. The thing, the guy who invented Velcro invented it by observing a little seed. And there is a plant that produces a seed that that seed has little tiny uh, soft hooks all over it. And if you walk through the woods and you brush up against a plant, them things will stick all in your socks and you've got to pick them all out and it's a headache. But he did all of that and looked at that thing closely and said, you know what? This material can be made out of this that can be useful to man. And he invented and developed Velcro. And from that Velcro, it can be done in a very soft way or it can be done. In, I've seen Velcro used to hang fire extinguishers on a wall. You, you glue or secure one piece on there and the other piece on the on the on the uh, the on the uh, fire extinguisher and you just stick it up there and you can rip it off like that and put it right back and everything how many of you know what I'm talking about about the velcro or you've ever had a problem with how many of you ever had a problem with that little seed you know what I'm talking about a lot of hands okay you know. so I'm just giving you an example here of things that have always existed until modern times and man says, you know what, I think we can study that and we can develop something from the Lord. Now, I want to move into B here. I'm trying to show you here how that a man has developed things from God's creation, B. There are various laws that must be followed in developing these things. Uh, a here, there's the law of nature, laws of physics. Physics, most of you know this one. That for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. That's a law of physics. You can't go against that. It'll, it'll happen every time. There's laws of mathematics that has to be followed. There are laws of engineering. If you're in the engineering business, the laws that have to be followed. Everybody that says engineering knows that. Laws of chemistry. There are some chemicals you can't put together. You keep them separate, you've got a normal usage of them. You put them together, you've got an explosion. You well know that. That's the law. That's the laws of chemistry. So you have to understand the laws involved with all of these things. And so men had to learn these laws, what can work, what doesn't work, and how they wanted to use those laws in order to advance or develop what they were trying to develop and, and produce and so forth.
So uh, there's all these different laws. Number two here, by studying these laws, these laws of, uh, of God, that's a natural thing, by studying these laws of creation, we then understand there is a creator of these laws. Somebody put all this together out there, and there's an amazement of the things of God that God has created and God has made. And I'm going to just sit here and tell you just right quickly, I still am very much amazed as the, as the wisdom, at the wisdom of God that has put in so much of the things he has created on this earth. I see little plants growing. I see, you know, you think it should be dead, but it's been around for 6,000 years. You know, little squirrels running around, trees growing, grass, weeds, all this stuff going on and on and on and on. I mean, that's just, I can sit on my patio and look out and see all this kind of stuff. And I say, God, your creations are so amazing, so amazing to me. See ducks in the water to pick up and fly. They come on, land on the water, swim around, eat fish. They pick up and fly away. Then they fly back. A big sandhill crane, big old birds like this just walk around slow. They don't worry about nothing. Dogs can bark. They don't worry about anything. They got a long neck. Anything comes at them, they'll reach over there and peck them like that. And if it gets too bad, they'll put out them big wings and do like that, scare them half to death. And if that don't work, they just fly away. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm just saying, all these creations God has put in all these creatures, and they know how to use it. And I see some things with a such, it's got to be, have a, such a mighty brain, and yet it knows what to do and how to go and how to feed itself and where, to, and, and what places to go. And all these things is the wisdom of God that has been put in, into creation and the things that God has made and created. Praise the Lord. So there are various laws that must be followed. And so, uh, number two here. Uh, by studying these laws, we understand that there's a law of creation. Now, look in Acts 14. This is what Paul was uh, telling these people at Lystra when he was out evangelizing the Gentile world. Look what he says here in 14:16. He was telling these Gentiles, there's a creator behind all these laws that you see, these natural nature, laws of nature. There's a creator behind all that. And he goes on to say here, verse 16 and 17, I'm going to read these two verses to you here. Who in times past suffered all nations or allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. God did that. He allowed them to do what they wanted to do. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So he's saying here that God was just good to us, took care of us, all of these things, and he allowed his laws to be in effect for the good of mankind. Now, in addition to that, when Paul was at Mars Hill, I'm turning over here to Acts 17.23. Acts 17.23. And he's talking to these Grecians here at Mars Hill. He says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions... I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, to the unknown God. So Paul goes from there. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I'm going to tell you who that unknown God that you're talking about here, who he really is. And he goes on to say in verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, 
seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now, verse 26, and have made of one blood all nations of men. And Paul is telling these Greeks that. For to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bound, the boundaries of their habitation. Bounds is what your, your Bible says, boundaries of their habitation. There is boundaries of the habitations of man. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of you, of us. So I'm pointing out to you here that Paul was letting them know that there's a God that's behind everything. You see all of this creation and you're saying that this is good and that's good and this is how that works, this is how that works. And you've got all that figured out, but I'm talking about the God behind it all. And he's good to us. And because he's good to us, we need to know who he is so we can worship him and praise him and thank him and be grateful unto God who is behind all these kind of things. Now, one of my favorite verses, not in your scriptures here. This is one that you'd put at the end here, but this one that's one of my favorite. I'm just going to throw it in for what it's worth. It's Romans 1, 19 and 20. Romans 1, 19 and 20. And I'll have them, if they would, put this on the screen for us here. Romans 1, thank you. Because that which may be known of God is made known in them, manifest, made known in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Speaking of the people of, of, uh, of, the, of the world. For the invisible things, verse 20, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So he's pointing out here that nobody's really without excuse because when you start seeing all the creation of God, you say, there's got to be a God behind all of this. And who is he? Now, folks, let me just say this before I go any further. There are people out there today that's asking that question. There's questions being asked. Who is, who is God? Where, where is he? How can I find him? There's got to be a God behind all these things. Not only in our country, but in the world, all over the world, there's people asking these questions. And this is why the gospel has to keep going forth until Jesus comes. And he may not be very far away. If you've been watching TV lately, you know Israel and Hamas and all that is going on over there. And possibly in the near future, I may get into some prophecy here teaching on prophecy. How many of you would, wouldn't, you'd be okay with that? Okay. We're talking about some prophecy here that some things developing in the world today, but anyhow, things are going on and it lets us know that it's time for the Lord to come back and people are looking for answers and they're wanting to know where am I in all of this? How does all this fit in with God and who is God and how can I find God? How can I know God for myself? That's why you and I cannot quit witnessing, testifying, and trying to help everybody we can to find the Lord and come to God and be saved. Praise the Lord. And I talked to you about that last week, as you well know. Now, let me move on here. I'm going to go to number two here. Look at this very closely here. Number two. 
If learning natural laws and secrets of creation can improve human life, which it has, how much more is there to be known through the word of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ concerning eternal life and a better life in this life? See, knowing Jesus will help you to have a better life in this life, but also to have eternal life. And this is why that knowing the Lord and the things of God is so very, very important. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to go to examples here. Stay with me on this now. Examples here. Matthew, if you'll go to Matthew 13 with me. Matthew 13. I'm going to take a little time here and talk to you about it because when Jesus came... Jesus began to teach about natural things that men knew about. To teach them spiritual things that they did not know about. So by studying the natural things that Jesus taught and then applying them to the spiritual things we understand about God. And that's what Jesus came to show Israel as a nation and eventually to us Gentiles who would turn to the Lord and be saved and become part of the church of the living God on this earth. Now, look at 13.3. He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. This is a farmer now, sowing seed. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. Verse 5, some seeds fell on stony ground, where they had not much earth. Forthwith they sprung up, because they had no depth of earth. Then the sun scorched them, and... They had no roots and they withered away. Verse 7. Some fell on thorns and thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and brought forth fruit. Some hundredfold, some sixfold and thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus gives a little parable here. Now in this 13th chapter, he gives seven parables of things to help men understand about God who is behind what we call nature, behind these things that we think are just natural. Now, Jesus, praise the Lord, went on to say in verse 18, and I'm going to look at this very closely, verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth that not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which is on his heart. And this is like he is by the wayside. Now, I'm only pointing this out to show you that Jesus took the natural things about a farmer sowing the seed and, and, and how the seed falls and then how it will grow crops and so forth in his field. And he likens that unto the kingdom of God. And so he goes on to say, and this is found also not only in Matthew, but also in Mark and also in Luke, how that the seed was the word of God and that the ground that the seed fell on was the hearts of men. So however men hear the word, how they hear the word, or if they receive the word and hear the word of God and how they respond to it is how that their, resp- their response to the word is their heart, praise the Lord, like the ground that begins to grow the seed. So he talked about some. Some fell on them and the birds took it all away. That's like people hear the word of God and they say, oh, well, that's not for me. And they walk out and that's it. It's all over with. Others hear the word of God and said, you know what? I think I'm going to live for God. And they start out. And they live for just a short time. And then they'll say, you know what? I don't think I want to live this life. I'm going to go back in the world and live my own life the way I want to live it. Now, people do that. And he said, that's like people that their hearts fall on this, uh, this stony ground. 
And then he goes on to say there's those that fall on thorny ground. And ever they and so they begin to grow, but the thorns choke them out and they're not fruitful. They may stay in the church, they may still come to church, they may still say, Oh yeah, we're part of the, the church, but they're never fruitful for God because they allow the things of the world to choke them out. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke gives details of what all these little things are. Cares of this life, being caught up with the world, you know, rushing here and there, always taking care of things out there, but never Never the spiritual things. And I could take a little time here and really talk to you about that, about all of us. We have to be careful that we don't find ourselves on thorny ground where the thorns are choking out those spiritual things that's in our lives. Do you have a personal devotion? Oh, I don't have time for that. Do you take time to pray? I don't have time. Do you take time to go to church? Well, once in a while, I don't have much time for that. I gotta, you know, gotta take children to school. I gotta work my job and I gotta run here and there and I gotta do this and I gotta catch a plane and I gotta get, you know. And we're too busy to think about the things of God. And that's what this is talking about. Jesus tells us that. And he goes on to talk about the thorns and then he talked about the good ground. And these are those who hear the word of God and say, I'm gonna live for God and walk with God and serve the Lord. And it's amazing how that if we are conscientious about the things of God, God will look after us in those natural things. And he wants to talk about how it's a good ground and it brings forth. Now, Jesus goes on to talk about other, he puts other parables there. Look at verse 24. I'm still here in Matthew 13. Verse 24, another parable put he forth saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a man that sowed good seed in the field and a while men slept, there came another one and sold evil. And he went on to say that it's like a field that's had good seed sowed in it. And then there was the tares or there was the weeds that were sown in it. And they are both. And so they start growing up together. And they said, what shall we do uh, to, the, to the Lord of the harvest, to the, to, the, to the harvest man? What shall we do? No, let them grow together. And in the end time... We'll separate, we'll pluck up the tares and then pluck up the wheat. We'll pluck up one or the other, we'll separate them at the end time, let them go together. I remember as a young man, when I first started evangelizing by myself, I was a single guy. I was just right out of Bible, right out of Bible school. In fact, one summer while I was still in Bible school, I evangelized one summer just by myself. Went out there and uh, I'd go into these small, little small towns and country churches and preach. And the people made a living by picking cotton. And there was a time whenever they'd sow the cotton in the springtime. And then sometime in early summer, they'd have to go through there and pick all the weeds. And then later on in summer, they'd pick the cotton. You understand what I'm saying? But there was a time when they had to do separated. And other, other, other products that they grew, and they had to do the same thing. And anybody here that knows anything about growing anything, which I know very little about, but they, 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 but anyhow, when Jesus was talking about this, farmers understood what he was talking about when he talked about seed falling on certain ground. And then whenever there was the weeds and the tares going together at the end time, he'll separate them. And then he goes on to say at the end time of the world, God's going to separate the wicked from the, from the evil. And so you want to be among the righteous and not among the wicked at the end time. And so he talked about that. He goes on to say verse 31, another parable put it forth saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed, mustard seed, mustard seed. And he goes on to say here, 
which a man, this is not the plant, the collards and greens like this. This is a tree that grows in Palestine and everything. Uh, he says, a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in them and so forth. And he went on to say, the kingdom of heaven is likened that. In other words, the church of God Almighty on this earth is going to start out small, but it's going to fill the earth. Now, I have right here an acorn. I'm going to put it right here. See that little thing? If you can't, you, well, you can see it, but you may not make it out. It's one that's been in my desk drawer for a long time, and I keep it for an example. I've got another one here that's more green that I picked up in my uh, picked up in my driveway just yesterday. It's uh, shaped a little different, probably from a little different type oak tree. And that's what that looks. Notice how small those things are. I mean, this is my this is this is my pen right here pointing to them. Notice how small these things are, and yet they'll make a big tree. And I look at that thing and I say, how can all this in that tree be in that? That's God. God put it there. I can't figure it out as greater than anything I know. And God, praise the Lord, came to this world in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ went about preaching the kingdom of God, which was the, which was the church that he was establishing. First given unto the Jews and then given unto the Gentiles. When he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And I'm just trying to tell you here today, praise God, that God, amen, is able to take the smallest thing and make the greatest thing. And the church keeps growing and it keeps growing. It may have started out small, folks, but it's going to fill the earth. And it is filling the earth. Amen. And when you and I finally, finally walk streets of gold. I don't know how many souls the last 2,000 years since the church began all among all the Gentiles as well as the Jews. How many there will be that will walk streets of gold with us, praise God. Because the church has grown to be so mammoth and so big and it started out so very small. And that the Lord used a natural thing, a natural thing to bear that out and show that to us. Praise God. Well, I just thought I'd just throw that out for what it's worth. Here's, here's another one. Look at verse 33 in Psalms 13. Another parable spake here unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took. Now here's one that is not to do with the farmer, but it's to do with, uh, it's to do with a woman making meal and doing bread. And then she put measures of, and she put this leaven in meal and then doted, you know, messed it all up. And the next morning it was puffed up. How did it puff up? Because of what she put in it. And the Lord is saying that he has put something in the church that's made it extra special. And the woman that's listening to the Lord's teachings, oh, I understand that. So the kingdom of God on earth, you can't always see it working, but it's working underneath. A woman tells a woman over her backyard fence, you know, do you go to church anywhere? No. How about going to church with me? Some guy sitting in the office, sitting over there drinking a cup of coffee with a friend, says, uh, are you saved? Saved? What do you mean by saved? Do you go to church and live for God? No. 
How about going to church with me and finding or knowing the Lord? Would you like to? So forth. Testifying. That's the leaven that's working all the time. You may be talking over here. Somebody else is talking over there. But that's the leaven that's working. I'm going to move on very quickly here. I'm going to verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure hid in the field. Like a treasure hid in the field. And it goes on to say, The which when a man had found, he uh, hideth and for joy thereof. This is in the four, verse 44. He selleth all that he hath, and he buyeth that field. And they said, said, the kingdom of God is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. This is talking about a merchant now. And, and the, the, in other words, the kingdom of heaven may be something you find and you say it's worth everything that I may have that. And then the man with a pearl of great pride. This is a merchant. This is not a farmer. It's not a woman working in the kitchen. Praise the Lord. It's not a man walking across the field. It's a man who is a businessman. And he finds a pearl of, of great price and he sells all the other pearls or diamonds he's got and buys this one pearl because if he can have that one he knows that he'll never have to worry about a thing because it's the pearl of great price and then finally again verse 4 to 7 again the kingdom of heaven is like to a net that is cast into the sea this is fishermen now I want you to notice how Jesus was touching base with all of these different occupations the woman who works in the kitchen understood him the farmer understood him uh, the, the man walking through the field uh, understood him the merchant understood him and now the fisherman understood him knowing praise the lord that if he casts out his net he pulls in the net there's some fish that you'll keep some you throw back and in the end time the lord is going to keep some and some he will throw back and he goes on to say and he goes on to say that they were cast away so i'm just pointing out to you here how that jesus used the natural creations of the in the world which is God's creations in the world to give us spiritual understanding. You understand what I'm talking about? And this is what the Lord, praise the Lord, came about by bringing when Jesus Christ came. And this is so many of his parables was teaching natural, spiritual things with natural things. Praise the Lord, because this is God's greatness and God's goodness to us. Praise God. Now, I, uh, I want you to go here. Uh, look at, I want you to notice here that God wants us to be a people who have righteousness. And if you look in Psalms 37, 25 here, this is what the Lord says about things he wants us to be. In learning natural laws and spiritual and, and secrets of creation can improve human life. How much more so through Jesus Christ and the word examples. And I gave it to you in Matthew. Now, righteousness, look in Psalms. 37.25. This is what the scripture says. I have been young and now am old. This is Solomon talking. Or David, brother. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Now, if you've got your Bible and you've got a pen, put a ring around that verse. Let me tell you why. I have been young and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. Never seen the righteous forsaken. And folks, if you can believe this, if you will believe it with all of your heart and say, I'm going to live right, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to serve God, nothing's going to pull me away from living for God, then God will always take care of me. Now, sometimes things get thin. You say, Brother Myers, you don't know how thin it can get. Oh, yes, I do. I've been there. 
I've been to some dead places. I've been there where I didn't know where the next next food was coming from. I never missed a meal. I postponed a few, but I never missed any. <laughs> praise the Lord. But I'm just saying here that God, praise the Lord, knows everything and he'll always take care of us. But we've got to say, Lord, I trust you with all my heart. And David said, I've never seen, I've been young and old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Now look at this next one. This is worth living for God for, nor his seed, the seed of the righteous. Never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. Never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed, his children, begging for bread. And I don't know how it is, but God has promised in his word that if you will be, if you'll be a, a child of God and live for God and serve the Lord and walk with him, the Lord's going to take care of your children. He'll take care of your grandchildren. You just can't leave them to the wind. You've got to teach them and do as the Bible teaches us to do that. But they'll never be forsaken by the Lord. And I read, I read years ago that the number one successful let me, let me see how to say it. The most successful people in life, the number one occupation of their parents, their father was that he was a minister. That the, the, the most successful people in life, and this didn't come from a Christian magazine, this came from a regular secular book that came from when their father was ministers. Now, if that's the case with ministers, that way always also with uh, with parents who are saints. Praise the Lord. If you live for God, serve God, you guarantee that God will bless your children. Now, I know most of us here probably they are maybe not most of us, but many of us, grandparents, maybe even some great-grandparents like I am, great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and so forth. But if you can teach your children, always praise the Lord, be faithful to God, God will bless your children. So this is a great verse of Scripture to remember and don't ever forget it because God has promised that he'll never leave nor forsake us. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> also, uh, there is how to be saved. How to be saved can be found in the scriptures here. Acts 2.38, you all know that. Then Peter said unto them, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Not forgiveness, but remission means wiped away, taken away. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. This is how the blood of Jesus Christ is applied, by repenting and being baptized in his name. He died on the cross for the whole world, but the whole world will not be saved. But those who will repent of their sins and be baptized in his name, the application of the blood comes about and is applied to their lives, and they receive remission of sins and it goes on to say, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ye shall receive. It's going to be the promises of you and your children to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And as far as Jerusalem is concerned, and this was said in Jerusalem and back then, you and I are far off from Jerusalem. We're way over here on the other side of the world. So it applies to us. So them that are far off, praise the Lord. You say, that's me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. To them that are far off. All right, I'll move on here. And uh, two, uh, 
Compassion for the poor. If we'll have compassion for the poor, the Lord's promise, he'll always bless us. Compassion for the poor. Now, I want you to look at this. Uh, let's see. I think Here we go. Look at this verse. I love this. Look at it good now. This is uh, Proverbs 19.17. This is another one to put a ring around. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Lendeth unto the Lord. He that hath pity upon the poor means you give and help them out when you can. And lendeth unto the Lord and that which he hath given will he pay him again. You see that verse? In other words, if you will be mindful to help the poor, if you will never let that leave your heart, but you'll say, I'm going to always help poor people. And the Bible is filled with that all through the Old Testament. Always be mindful of the poor. If we will be mindful of the poor, the Bible says that when we give to the poor, we lend to God. You don't give it away. You lend it to God. Praise the Lord. And that which he hath, will he pay him again? I never forget this happened to me one time. Uh, I was driving over here in part of town. I think the Lord did it just, just to show me how true this word is, just for me personally, right there. I never forget that a, a lady is standing with a little baby in her arms on the corner. I stopped and gave her a $5 bill. Gave her a $5 bill. I drove down the street. Pulled in the McDonald's parking lot, went inside, and ordered a meal. Got a meal. And when I went to pay it, they said, you, it's paid for. I said, really? Who paid for it? Well, we, we, it's, it's, no, they don't want to tell you. Okay, it's just paid for. Okay. It's like, it was a hamburger, drink, and some fries or something like that. I went and sat down. And finally, somebody came and sat down and said, did you enjoy your meal? Yeah. Can I tell you who bought this? Well, somebody, praise the Lord, that knew who you were, saw you come in here, said, I want to pay for his meal. And my meal was $12. I gave $10 down the street, came in and got a free meal for $12. Now you say, oh, Brother Myers, that can happen. I know it, I know it, I know it. It can happen, and it does happen, and it may not happen that simplistic with you or us. But what it did show me again was this scripture, how true it is. That God, you always just lend to God, and God gave me twice, more than twice back what I gave to that lady, you know. And after that, I thought, maybe I should have given her a $10 bill instead of a $5 bill. Anyway, God give it back to me, man. But I'm just pointing out to you here how faithful God is in all these things. Praise the Lord. Amen. So uh, I'm just, uh, let me move on a little further here. This is one I like as well. This is one of my favorite scriptures here in giving verse three, number three here. And this is found in Luke 638, 638, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, not just given unto you, but he tells how it's going to give, be given back to you. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom.
For with the same measure that ye met with all, it shall be measured to you again. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if we are faithful in God's word, God's going to be faithful to us. If you be a giver, praise the Lord. Amen. Missions, be a missions giver to the orphanages, orphanages that we support. Be a giver, praise the Lord. When they pass that pan, be a giver. Don't say, oh, I don't give nothing. I, don't, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. Try it out. Amen. See what God can do. See what God will do. I'm just saying, folks, these are spiritual things, and we have to apply natural things to experience the spiritual things. So by giving is a natural thing, but receiving, praise the Lord, the way God can bless us and do for us is the natural things. Praise the Lord. Let me move on. I know my time's getting away. And it goes on to say here, tithes. Malabar 3, uh, Mal- Malachi 3. And this is one you don't ever want to forget. Tithes is 10% of your income. Amen. And if you'll always give that to God, God will never let you go hungry. I promise you. Amen. Amen. This is another one that's worth putting your, your ring around. This is Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. 310, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me, prove me. Now herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now this is the word of God. You say, I put a ring around that verse. Put a ring around it. Say, okay, Lord, you said it. Now let's see if it works. Yeah, it'll work. It'll work, praise God. And then I'm going to move on very quickly here. And uh, finally, the church attendance here, number five. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Everybody see that? They didn't, now, I know there's times you can't make it to church. There's times I don't make it to church. You know, am I sick or, or I just can't make it? And some of you, and I know there's people out there watching me that just really can't make it. It's not talking about that. It says neglect not the assembling of yourself together. Forsaking not the assembling of yourself together. Forsaking it means just saying, oh, I'm not going to go to church no more. I'm going to do my own thing at home. You know, my thing. I'm going to watch television. I'm going to watch, you know, Dr. So-and-so on TV, and he's my preacher. No, 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 no. The Bible says forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Back then they had some doing that. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And that's where we are today. So let's be faithful in coming to the house of God and, uh, and being it. And then finally, we're going to go to number B here, and I got just a minute here, and I'm just going to talk to you for just a moment here. <clears throat> this is where Paul talks about his knowledge of secret things of God. And this is found in Ephesians 1 9. Having made known unto us the mystery, mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And so he talks about that. And he goes on to say the same thing over in Ephesians uh, 3 and 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote aforetime, whereby when you read, you may understand by my, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
uh, how that which is in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. So he's talking about a mystery and some understanding that he has that God gave him. And this is what it is. Six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And God revealed that unto him, and he understood it. Praise the Lord. and became the apostle to the Gentiles. Amen. And we could go to Ephesians. He talks about it in Ephesians and other books. Our time is gone. Let's stand together and praise God. Thank God for spiritual things that God has revealed through natural things to us. And even though we are just simply nobodies and we came from nowhere, God so loved us that he gave us all these things and it can be found in his word. Let's worship him. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and blessings. Thank you for this audience this morning. Thank you for your people.